Happy New Year. Good to see you. Uh, show of hands, anybody break your resolutions yet? No, no one quite yet? No, okay. Well, you, you got, you know, another 360 days to go, so you're, you, you got time. Don't, don't sweat it. It's good to see you. It's good to be uh, together here as we kick off this new year. A um, couple of things just uh, we're going to talk about today really to sort of set the course for where we're going this year. Uh, but before we do that, I want to celebrate something uh, that happened just in the last few weeks. It was our Christmas Eve services. And uh, we had almost 1,200 people come to Christmas Eve to those three services, which is great. That's about 300 more than we've ever had on Christmas Eve. Yeah, you can, you can clap for that. That's cool. Um, I always hate to stifle a clap when someone wants to clap. It's like, no, go ahead. It's, that's fine. And uh, that, that's valuable to us for a couple reasons. One is uh, the reason we, we count and, and track that stuff is because each number is a person. Each person has a story and has a life. And uh, we, want, we believe that each person's made in God's image, and God wants to connect in relationship with them. So that, that's meaningful. It's also valuable because it tells us that you guys really responded to the challenge to invite people. And uh, I met a number of people that were here on Christmas Eve uh, that were here because you had invited them and many of you introduced me to them. And, and I know there were lots of other people that got invited that weren't able to make it as well. So thank you for that. I know it's a big step to ask someone, invite someone to come to church, um, but we're glad you did it and, and thankful for the opportunity God gave us to talk about the Lord and, and his love for us. So, uh, so thank you for for that. Um, listen, the, the goal of today is to get a song in your head. Ready? What the world needs now is there's just too little love. Right? Everybody knows that song. It's great. Well done. Give yourself a hand. Good job. You did it. Beautiful voices up here. Wow. Thank you so much. You can just keep singing throughout the service. I'll just, that'll soothe me. Um, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's a song that was recorded in 1965 by Jackie DeShannon. And uh, you, can, you can see that's what we just sang. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. No, not just for some, but for everyone. That song has been recorded over a hundred times by a hundred different artists live and in albums. Um, it showed up in a bunch of movies from Austin Powers to Forrest Gump. And uh, this song just resonates with people. There's a reason we all know it. And if you actually read the rest of the song, it's pretty lame. Like the verses kind of don't say anything. But the chorus, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. We resonate with that. And the reason we resonate with that is because we're made in God's image, and God had similar things uh, to say to us about that in his word. You know, for me, the biggest surprise and probably the biggest lesson of 2014 was how seriously God takes the command to love. We, if, if you weren't here over the last couple of years, we've been studying through the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is this just epic book about how big God is and how strong God is and how committed God is to saving people by faith in Christ Jesus, that we can be rescued out of the clutches of sin and death and given eternal life and relationship with God through faith in Christ. And I, I expected to get that kind of message out of Romans. What I didn't expect was all that we learned when we were back in Romans chapter 12 about love. And it came at a very pivotal time, just, just for me and for our family, uh, where my wife, you know, had had a, a long and difficult pregnancy. It was not any longer than any other pregnancy, but it felt like it. 
and then just a tough transition into having a third baby. We hadn't had a baby in a long time, and, and it, you know, a lot of opportunities to, to apply what I was teaching and to try to grow in love, and I'm thankful for God's grace in that. Um, but as I think about the, the year ahead, and that's what we're doing today, last week we kind of looked back, said what kind of a year was 2014. This year we're looking a little bit ahead and going, the, the, the big thing that we need to keep pushing into is love. It's what you need, it's what I need, it's what the world needs, it's what all of us are hungry for, is love. To be loved by God, to love God in return, to love our neighbor as ourselves. that's all the kind of stuff that Jesus talked about. And, and as we look ahead to 2015, that's something we're going to push into. Now there's a lot that's going to happen in 2015. Let me just quickly kind of breeze through just a number of things that are going to happen uh, for us here as a church, just to kind of keep you aware of some things. Next week we're going to start a, a new series, it's going to go four weeks, called The Other 167. And the idea here is that a week is 168 hours long. Uh, You're maybe at church for one of those hours, and the rest of those hours you're not. And so this is a series looking at what happens the other 167, looking at all of life. We say often around here, all of life is all for Jesus. And so we want to talk about, okay, how does faith intersect with some key things that happen out there rather than in here, okay? So we're going to talk about marriage, we're going to talk about parenting, we're going to talk about money, we're going to talk about work. And about how all of those things which have such uh, influence and pervade our lives can be uh, things that honor the Lord. And so we're going to talk about that in the, in the next four weeks. So I hope you'll join us for it. Good cell phone <laughs> ringtone there. You're off to a fun start of the year. I like that. All right, as Josh said also, uh, in a couple weeks we're going to be starting this 5 p.m. service and we're, we're looking forward to that. And as he said, and I just can't emphasize this enough, we really need a significant number of you to decide to stop coming at 1045 and start coming at 5. Uh, the reason is twofold. One, we want to launch that 5 o'clock service with strength. We think we need about 150 adults to be able to move to the evening, to really have that service not feel dead and feel like it's got a life and, and, and be a lot of the, the kind of environment that we'd all want to be part of as we invite friends to that. So, so that's part of it. The other thing is we want to, as you go to the evening, we want to create some room in this environment for people who are going to come check us out on Sunday morning to be able to hear about and meet and follow Jesus. And so that's what this is about. So really do seriously uh, this week. Take some time. We're going to have some time in the service next week where I'm going to challenge you to, to make a commitment and to make that move. So, so do consider that. That same day, we're going to be starting a series on the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be preaching through the life of Jesus this next year. And uh, that's why we want to do this, is we want to create opportunities for people to meet and follow Christ as we look at who he is in the Gospel of Mark. If you've ever wondered, what's Jesus really about? I've heard things about him. Uh, you'll want to be part of, of our church this year and hear what God's doing and what God did through that Gospel. Another big thing this year is uh, 2015 is supposed to mark the conclusion of our Roots Building campaign. So uh, our Roots Building campaign, if you're not familiar with that, was uh, we decided to purchase 10 and a half acres that's directly west of this building. If you walk out the doors and just look west, it's the first 10 acres that's right there. And the reason we did that, even though we have a, a 
wonderful space to meet in right now is we want to lay down roots. We want to make a long-term difference for generations to come. We want there to be a faithful gospel presence in this community. And uh, laying down roots, owning rather than renting, we feel like is a, is a good step in that direction. And so many of you have given and pledged and uh, been generous and sacrificial and you're giving for that. Um, our goal was to try to wrap that campaign up by the end of 2015. That's what we've desired to do. Um, the big question is, are we going to get there? And I'm, I'm serious, are we going to get there? <laughs> um, we keep track of this on the back of your program. Uh, you can look uh, just sort of in this program at, at just the, the amount of money that's come in and, and where we're at in that. And um, this program doesn't reflect any of the kind of last second, end of the year gifts. We, we haven't been able to record that before they went to print. Um, but Roots, Roots Campaign, we would love to try to get that done. And some of you are in a place where you're like, gosh, I wish you would just quit talking about this. I, I don't like building campaigns. I have a very simple solution for that. Just give to it and we'll be done. Like, we'll just, once we hit the goal, we'll, we don't have to talk about it anymore. I heard a pastor once say, you know, we have good news and bad news. The good news is God has provided all the money that we need for this campaign. The bad news is it's in your pocket. <laughs> and, uh, and we don't want to belabor that. We don't want to, you know, guilt anyone into it. But we really feel like this is a worthwhile investment. 10,000 years from now, you'll be glad that you invested in a gospel presence in this community. And so I hope you'll join us with that. Even if you weren't part of uh, when we kicked that campaign off, um, stop at the info desk, get a Roots brochure, find out about what's going on, and start giving over and above to that project. We, uh, we'd love to, to get as close as we can to finish with that this year. All right, then another thing that I just don't want to take for granted is all the continued ministry we do, all the normal, regular ministry, the redemption community, small groups that happen. Uh, we're relaunching Exodus groups this year. That's an environment for men to meet with men and women to meet with women and talk about that hard-to-talk-about stuff of hurt and past and sin and forgiveness and addiction and all that kind of stuff that is hard to, to push into. We're excited to, to get that ministry going again this year. Student Ministries continues to meet on Wednesday nights. Uh, close to 100 people that are here and a growing number of people. They'll go to winter camp in a couple weeks and God always works through that stuff. Vacation Bible School is happening again this summer. And I don't want to forget that stuff because uh, all of the time and effort that many of you pour into those ministries is significant and God works through that. Uh, the money that you give on a regular basis supports those kinds of ministries. And uh, one thing that we're just never able to measure, I wish we could, is the kind of we never get to measure what's prevented because of the faithfulness of all those ministries. Right? There's no way to measure how many marriages stay together because a couple was in community with people who helped them at the early stages rather than trying to raise their marriage from the dead later. Right? You just, there's no way to measure that. You don't, there's no way to measure how, how many teenagers don't commit suicide or do drugs or do something else that they would do to harm themselves because they're loved by mentors in, in other environments. You, there's just, you can't measure that. And yet, we know it's really, really valuable. So I don't want to forget that kind of ministry. And then another thing that I'm excited for this year uh, personally, and I'm excited about it for our church, is this summer I am going to take a sabbatical. Um, and I requested that to our elders, and they were very gracious to, uh, to grant that request. And I'm going to take a 10-week sabbatical beginning in May. 
so it'll be for a good portion of the summer. And I'm really thankful to the elders for that. I'm thankful to the Redemption Leadership Team for that. Um, and the desire there, just, just so you know, it'll be, this summer will mark about six years since we began the work of church planting and birthing and then leading the church. And um, we've decided as a team, we really want to lead from a position of strength and we want to lead from a position of health. Too often, uh, leaders and, and ministers in particular end up taking a sabbatical when they're on like the edge of burnout. We want to try to prevent that and be proactive. And so we've planned that for this coming year. And uh, we want to let you know that now so that when it happens later, you don't have to speculate and go, gosh, what happened? You know, did something go wrong? Is this a reaction? No, it's, it's just an intentional desire to be healthy and to move forward. I'm looking forward to it, the opportunity to rest and to really recharge uh, my batteries this summer um, into the next season of leadership. I don't want to lead uh, in ministry for a, a decade. I want to lead for decades. And uh, this is a step toward that kind of thing. So anyway, I'm looking forward to that. Those are all things you can be praying for. But in the midst of all that, and through all of it, there's, there's something that, that is really important. See, we don't want to just get busy and be busy and go, well, we did a lot. We want to do all that, but above all, we want it to have it grow us in love, okay? Above everything, let's grow in love. Through the service that's going to create an opportunity to love new people, as we teach the scripture, as we gather in communities, as we do all that, let's grow in love. Love is the main idea of the entire Bible. That's what Jesus says here in Mark 12. So if you have your Bible again, let's turn our attention to the scriptures. Mark chapter 12, verse 28, a scribe asks uh, Jesus a question. This is a question I think Jesus probably got a lot because there's a few instances in the scriptures where it records an interaction where Jesus talks about this. All of them have some slight differences. Uh, we're not sure how many of these were, were, were these multiple conversations or one conversation, uh, but, but we know this was a theme that came up a lot and probably because the Jews were very concerned with obeying the commands of God. They took the Lord seriously and they wanted to follow him. And so Jesus often got a question like the scribe poses to him in verse 28. Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? I don't think they'd counted this, but some scholars now have counted there were over 600 Old Testament commands. Okay, of all of that, Jesus, could you boil it down? You Like, what's the main one? What's the big one? I don't know if you like summaries. I like summaries. There's a good summary question. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers unsurprisingly from Deuteronomy 6. Now, this, we wouldn't know this, but Jews wouldn't have been surprised by his answer because Deuteronomy 6 was a, was a statement. It was kind of a creed or a mantra that the Jews would say on a regular basis. It was called the Shema because the first word of it is a, is a Hebrew word, Shema, that means hear. And so that's what Jesus says. Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel. Listen up, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I wouldn't have surprised anybody. The, the scholar here, the scribe, would have been pleased with that answer. Oh, yes. The greatest command is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, later this year when we get into Mark, maybe we'll pick apart the differences between heart, soul, mind, and strength. But for now, let's just, let's paraphrase it this way. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with everything. 
with everything. All of you. Your mind, your strength, your heart, your soul, all of it. Everything. And, and we need to hear this because we're people that like to compartmentalize. We sort of like to view life as a TV dinner. And the reality is life is a chicken pot pie. It's an illustration I use a lot. I think it's very helpful, right? You have a TV dinner where there's all these compartments and the food doesn't touch, which for some of you is like heaven to have your food never touch. It's just wonderful, right? The peas are here and the carrots are here and the potatoes and the pot roast and it's all just in its nice little compartment and it never touches, right? And if someone came to you and said, hey, I've got a TV dinner, bad news though, the the carrots went bad, you could still eat it. You just go, okay, well, that's in its safe compartment. It hasn't touched anything. I'll just eat everything else. Right? And that's how a lot of us want to view life. You know, well, my family's okay and, and work's pretty good. You know, I don't pray very much. But hey, you know, these components don't touch each other. All of life is fine as long as, you know, in, on balance it kind of is good. That's not how life is. Life is a chicken pot pie. All the ingredients are mixed together. Right? If someone came to you with a chicken pot pie and said, hey, I've got this chicken pot pie, But bad news, the carrots are spoiled. But you know what? Just pick them out. What would you do? Let's go out to dinner, right? Let's let's not do that, right? Because you'd go, well, that all it all touches. It all it's all connected. That's how life is. That's why Jesus says, love God with everything, all of you, every part. But and this is where I'm just so thankful for the kindness and grace of Jesus. That's a very hard command not only to do but even to understand isn't it like how do I know if I've loved God with 90 percent or 94 or 100 how do I know that how do I know if I love like is this just I sit there until I feel warm what is this what does this look like what does this practically mean to love the Lord my God with everything And so Jesus adds a second commandment. Now, the guy didn't ask, hey, what are the top two? He said, what's the top one? But Jesus knew the second goes with the first. And really, you can't do the first if you don't do the second. And so here's what Jesus says in verse 31. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's from Leviticus 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In Matthew, it says that all of the commandments hang on these two. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And the reason for that, and we read in 1 John and other portions of Scripture, is that you can't love God if you don't love others. If you say you love God, but you turn away from your brother who's in need, you're a liar. You're a hypocrite. If we say we love God, but we curse those who are made in God's image, we lie and the truth isn't in us. Our love for God is demonstrated and fleshed out and proven by our love for others. These, Jesus says, are the greatest commandments. There's nothing greater. A scribe goes on to sort of, you know, confirm to Jesus, yeah, Jesus, you're right. Which I think is just really funny. I sort of imagine Jesus going like, I know I'm right. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, but I know. I, I had it. I knew I nailed it. Uh, but he doesn't. He just says, hey, man, you're not far from the kingdom of God. If you're seeing it the way I'm seeing it, you're, you're not far. Like, you're getting it. Most people don't, don't get this. And here's the thing. Even for us today, 
And even though we have a Bible, and even though many of us would say, and and are Christians, many of us don't get it. Jesus is saying this is the most important thing. And yet when we think about our spiritual development and our spiritual growth, we very rarely think about it through a lens of love. Instead, we think about it through other things. I made just a short list. We think about it through knowledge. I'm growing in my faith if I know more, if I've read more, if I've attended more classes, if I've listened to more things. We think knowledge is spiritual growth. Knowledge is important, but that's not the key indicator of spiritual growth. We think experience. If I've been a Christian for a long time, and I've been around the block, and I've seen some things, then I'm growing spiritually. Well, that can be valuable, but that's not the most important. We think activity. If I'm busy, if I'm doing a lot, if I'm really committed to a lot of different church projects and things for God, then I'm really growing. Again, those are important. They can be incredibly catalytic for your faith. That's not the main thing. We think leadership. If I'm in charge, if I'm influencing, if I'm leading others, then I'm really growing. No. According to Jesus, it's love. A healthy follower of Jesus is someone who is growing in love for God and love for others. Period. Now, knowledge and experience and activity and even leadership can be valuable tools to move you toward love. But if you don't think about love as the main indicator of of growth, you're just missing it. Here's how Charles Spurgeon, a a famous 19th century preacher, uh, said it. He said this, An increase of love to Jesus and a more perfect apprehension of his love to us is one of the best tests of growth in grace. Now here's what's interesting. I've asked people over the last year because what I'm going to share with you for the rest of this message is something that we've been working on as pastors and elders for probably close to six months. We had a whole retreat uh, where we went out of town to work on and to craft and to try to simplify the things that I'm going to share with you. And so I've done a lot of sort of uh, informal research with people talking about how do we grow in our faith? And if, if love is the key ingredient for growth, do we see it that way? And so I've asked a number of people. I've said, hey, do you think you're growing in your faith? Yes or no? They say whatever they say. And I say, okay, on a scale of one to ten, how fast do you think you're growing? And then I'll ask, how do you know? Like, what do you look at to indicate whether you're, a, you're growing at an eight speed or a four speed? And almost every time, the answer to how do you know is knowledge, experience, activity. Well, I've been reading a lot. You know, I'm struggling because I haven't been able to be in a small group lately. You know, I, you know it's, it's all about busyness and activity and what have I learned and I don't know very much. And listen, those are all important, but here's what's just been so fascinating. Jesus says, nothing is more important than loving God and loving others. And when I ask people who have known the Lord for a long time, are you growing in your faith The thing that never entered the equation of their mind and their thinking was, am I loving people? I don't know why that is. I don't know why we have that disconnect so much, but it's there. And so as a church and as leaders, we want to do something to try to push back on that. And we want to try to say, hey, we have a plan to help you grow in your faith. And that growth is going to be seen through the lens of love. 
So with that in mind, we've done a lot of work as pastors and elders, and we developed this thing that we very creatively called the wheel. I don't know how we came up with that. Someone earlier said, it's a, it's a donut. I said, man, you, you're too hungry. I don't think that looks like a donut, but, but it's a wheel. And the idea here of the wheel is if we want to experience growth, if we want to experience movement, a wheel is something that's moving. And a wheel is able to move to the degree that each of the spokes and the hub and the components of the wheel are strong and firm, right? If you get a flat tire, you can keep driving, but you slow down considerably, right? And you'd actually end up doing damage in the long run. And so we began to think, is there a, is there a kind of, are there some spokes to the Christian life that if these are in place in a person's life, they grow? Even if they maybe hit a boulder of some, something in life they didn't expect, some bout of suffering or some experience that was not planned, if, if, the, if the spokes are strong, maybe they can even bump over that and grow through it. Is that possible? And, and if we use this as what Jesus is saying, that, that love is the lens, that this is the most important stuff, could this maybe be a clue as to what those spokes would be? And so, so we began to, to come up with, with this wheel diagram. And what I love about it is it's incredibly transferable. If you have a pen, you can write it down in your bulletin or somewhere else. You maybe even if you have kind of a good visual memory, you'll, you'll visualize it by the end of this. Um, we had a, you know, a, a seven-year-old kid in the service last service, and he's writing it down, and he gets it. And it's very transferable and very simple, and yet I think there's also a level of just how profound it can be, okay? So these are the components that if they're in your life as a follower of Christ, you will grow in your faith, okay? The first one we get just right here from Jesus, love God. Love God. Love God. If you don't love God, you're not gonna grow in your faith. If this is the most important command, love God with everything, then we need to love God. That's the first spoke. What does that look like? What, is, what does that flesh out? Well, we've already said love our neighbor, and, and we'll talk about that more here in just a moment. But a few things specifically that we think uh, really kind of are indications of our love for God. One is our public worship. Our public worship. Our, our ability to gather together on Sundays or other days of the week and to adore God. To celebrate Jesus. To rejoice in who God is and what he's done for us, to, to worship publicly. Now, I understand that that looks different for different people, right? I mean, some of you, like if, if you were allowed to have a tambourine in here, you would have it, right? And you like to kneel and you like to shout and you like to jump and to dance, and that's wonderful. Others of you, you know, when you get really fired up, it's like, indeed. <laughs> you know, and... and, and that's when you're, you know, someone next to you is like, whoa, like they're on fire, right? And so I get we have different personalities and this looks different ways. But listen, when we gather together, this isn't just about our opportunity to receive from God, but to adore and to give to God. I read a fantastic little poem by a pastor who was talking about uh, how where you sit in the service matters. And he had the blessing of sitting behind a woman who had just lost her husband. And sitting behind her and seeing her frail arm extended to God as they sang. So that ministered to me. That despite the pain and despite the loss and despite the grief she's in, she's still going to praise God. Why? Because she's not afraid publicly to say, yes, I love the Lord. 
So there's public worship that's part of it. Part of how we love God also is private devotion. Just the time that you spend alone with God. When there's no one else there, when there's no other media kind of mediating an experience between you and God, when it's just you and him, what's your relationship like? And, And to be devoted to him in private is a way that we love God. Another way we love God, we'll talk about this quite a bit in our next series, is through our daily work through the the job that we do. We actually imitate God as we do things like he would do it. And so we have a great opportunity to honor and to glorify God when we go to work or if you're a stay-at-home mom with your kids or if you're retired in the various callings that God has still allowed you to pursue. Our daily work, our private devotion, our public worship, those are all ways that we love God. Next part of this is... uh, is moving into neighbor. And, and as we, we moved into neighbor, we decided, you know what, neighbor is, is, I mean, Jesus said it, we can't critique him, but that's, it's broad. Let's try to get a little more specific about what are some of the, what are the, who are the different kinds of neighbors that we might engage with. And the first kind of, of neighbor, first kind of other person we might engage with, the one closest to home, is family. So we said the next spoke of this wheel is to love family. Love family. Family. Now, this was one that the, the guys, are, this wasn't a part of our original thinking, but as we went on that retreat and had that meeting, one of the things that emerged was just how prevalent the reality of family is. You know, I, I began to think, well, gosh, is, is family, does this apply to everyone, right? Because not everyone's married and not everyone has kids and not everyone's a grandparent. And does this really apply to everyone? Is this really such a significant part of spiritual growth? And then I began to look at the Bible. I saw, okay. The first command in the Bible, be fruitful and multiply, is a command about family. The first institution in the Bible is the institution of marriage. That's about family. When sin enters the world, it begins to create conflict first in a family. When God begins to promise that he's going to undo the effects of that sin, he calls Abraham and promises him a family. The rest of the Bible is talking about this family line that will culminate ultimately in Jesus Christ, who is called the Son of God and our older brother. We are children of God by faith. The scripture calls the the, the church Jesus' bride, Jesus' wife. The, The scripture culminates in Revelation 19 in a big marriage feast, celebrating the union between Jesus and his people. So is, is family part of the Bible? <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal. Now, here, here's, here's a little bit of how we, we see this. This family that we're to love is a multi-generational component, right? So children are to love and obey parents, but adults even are to honor father and mother. That's one of the Ten Commandments. So there's a multi-generational thing. There's looking at your past family. There's loving your present family. There's maybe even planning for or anticipating or doing things to love future family. So there's a multi-generational dynamic. There's honoring roles, right? Husbands lead and serve and love their wives. Wives love and respect and honor and follow their husbands. Children obey parents. Parents are to not exasperate their children, but bring them up in the fear and instruction of the Lord. We're going to talk about that in these coming weeks. There's also just this idea in family of sacrifice. Oftentimes, family relationships create opportunity to do what you don't want, right? And love sacrifices. And it's very easy at times to love those who are out there and, and not love those who are closest to you. Right? How often 
Are you at dinner at a restaurant having this sharp, edgy, unkind tone in your conversation, and then it all changes when the server comes and you place your order? And you're nicer to the server than to your spouse. So loving family, this is a, this is a big deal. Now there's a question we want to ask uh, as it relates to each of these. I, I uh, meant to mention that earlier, maybe you saw it. But the question for loving family is this. What is one thing your family members need from you right now? What's one thing they need? What I like about this question is this is a question that doesn't say what are a hundred things they need. So maybe they need a lot. It doesn't ask what's the biggest thing they need. It just says what's one thing your family members need. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's some encouragement. Maybe it's a thank you. Maybe it's a plan to get together at some point in the future. Maybe it's even just a prayer. But what's one thing your family needs from you right now? Each of these questions, by the way, I think would be great to use in conversation with each other as you meet in small groups or as you meet with friends just to go, hey, what, what, what is one thing your family needs from you right now? And to be able to encourage and hold each other accountable with that would be good. All right, the next spoke of the wheel, this expands out a bit from family, is to love church, to love the church. And by this, uh, by the way, church in the Bible tends to mean a couple different things. The word means uh, the assembly, and it has the idea of the individuals that make up the assembly, loving other Christians. It also has to do the idea of loving and being committed to a local congregation, a local assembly, a local church. And so when we talk about loving church, what we mean is loving other Christians for sure, but also being a committed part of a local church. Many people see church as kind of a buffet. I go there because they got a great kids program. I go there because I like the music. I like the preacher there. My kids go to this camp. This church is really committed to training people, so I take classes there. And it's just kind of this smorgasbord. The reality is... When you, when you try to do it that way, you're always calling the shots. And how many of us think that we'd grow best when we always call the shots? No. And so loving church is being committed to Christians in general, but a local church and a local group of Christians that make up a congregation in particular. What does that look like? Well, it looks like owning ministry. It looks like rather than seeing yourself as a consumer, seeing yourself as an owner. Right? There's something on the floor, you pick it up. There's something that needs to be clean, you grab a, a broom. There's someone that looks like they're lost and they aren't, haven't been here before, you introduce yourself and you say hi. There's a, you know, a need that arises, you go, I can meet that. Owning ministry. This is one of the things that has made our church so vibrant, that has made it so healthy, that has made it so friendly, is that so many people have owned ministry. Right? I, always, I always notice the change because maybe when someone first comes to the church, they'll say, I really like your church. And then after they've been here a while and they begin to own ministry, they really say, I really like my church. And that shift is big to begin to own ministry, to live in community with one another, encouraging other people, blessing other people, to serve faithfully, to use my gifts and my talents and, and my time to be able to be a blessing to other people. This is part of loving church. Now, it's very much the case that people today want to dismiss the local church. Right, and there's all these online options, right? You can, you can basically do church in your, in your underwear on the couch, right? You can l- listen to your favorite songs on YouTube. You can dial up your favorite preacher on the internet. Some churches even broadcast it live, right? And that 
great that they can do that. But if that's how you see church, like, oh, I don't really need the people. It's just the thing I watch. You're not getting church. A more extreme version of that is people go, you know, I, I don't really need any involvement with a local church. I, I love Jesus. I'll just read my Bible. I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll go to Starbucks. That'll be my church. Listen, if Jesus died for his bride, the church, then get this. You can't love Jesus and hate his wife. And maybe you think she's ugly. Don't tell him. Right? And, 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 And here's the deal. You're part of the ugliness. If you find a perfect church, don't go there. You'll ruin it. And yet, to go, okay, I love the church. It's got warts. It's not perfect. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to feel neglected. I'm going to feel ignored. I'm going to have some need come up, and no one's going to call. No one's going to visit. Yep. We're not going to try to do that. We're going to try to do better. We're going to try to love each other. But but you're going to be disappointed. Don't give up on the church. All right, fourth spoke. Again, this is expanding out. Family's closest to home, then church, and expanding out to neighbor. To actually love neighbor. Now, here's a way to think about the people that are neighbors, okay? You could ask yourself three questions. Is this person God? Okay, no, they're not God. All right, next. Is this person part of my family? No, okay. Is this person part of the church, the worldwide church? Are they a Christian? No? Okay, then they're a neighbor. So these would be people we work with. These would be people that uh, we coach with or we have... uh, you know, other parents on teams or at our local school, these would be actually maybe even neighbors, like people that are actually like live in, in proximity to us. That, that could even be as crazy as that sounds. Um, this love neighbor dynamic is, is local and it's global, right? So the internet has allowed us to have neighbors that are across the world, but there's also neighbors who are across the street. And we're to love people. We're to love people that don't yet know Christ, right? Jesus said, the world will know that you're my disciples by your love. He didn't say, the world will know you're my disciples because you're right. The world will know you're my disciples because you're loud. No, no, no. The world will know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. And so we're to love one another and we're to love non-Christians and we're to invite people who don't yet know Christ to come see the love of Christ. This means personally, as we love our local and global neighbors, we do good works. We serve and we love and we bless. There's a place in First uh, Peter chapter 3 where it says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's in you. And many people never have anyone ask because we're not doing enough loving and tangibly serving of people where they go, why would you do that? And then you get to talk about Christ, right? So there's, there's good works. There's also bold words. Being able to give a reason for the hope that's in you. Being able to tell someone about, here's what God has done in my life. Here's the good news of the gospel. Here's how you could become a Christian. All of that are components of loving your neighbor, now, there's a diagnostic that I just recently came across that I, f- I found really helpful. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'd love for you to sort of take this little test just, just by, your, by yourself here um, about this. Is 
um, that there are basically three kinds of Christians. If you're, if you're in the room and you're not a Christian, you don't have to take the test. But if you're a Christian, uh, ask yourself, which of these three best describes your Christian faith as it relates to this idea of loving neighbor? First one, a private Christian. This is a person who has many non-Christian friends, many real relationships with people that don't know the Lord, but keeps faith to themselves. It's scary to talk about. Maybe they know I'm a Christian. Maybe they go to church, but I mostly keep this to myself. That's a private Christian. Next is a secluded Christian. This is someone who's comfortable talking about their faith. They're open about it. They're not ashamed. They just don't know any non-Christians. Or they know them, but only at an acquaintance level. Not any like real friendships, real relationships where, where like serious stuff in life would come up. These are secluded Christians. For many of you, if, if you've been a Christian for longer than 10 years, and, and it's, it wouldn't be surprising if you're in this secluded group. So life revolves around church, and you know a lot of Christians, and, and your deep friendships aren't with non-Christians. You, you could talk about it, but, but you just don't know them. The last category is public this is a category that I think we all as Christians aspire to. Many non-Christian friends and open about my faith. So I know and love people that don't know the Lord. I have real relationships. I, you know, I, I don't view them just sort of as a notch on my spiritual belt. But I really know and care about them. And I'm really open about my faith with them. And we have real conversations about faith and God. Which of those are you? Again, I think one of the reasons our church has been dynamic and strong is because many of you are public Christians. That's encouraging to me. I also think that the longer we're around and the bigger as a church we get, the easier it'll be to be in those first two categories. We want to help you this year and over time to, to move out of being private, be able to keep, get your faith out there. We also want to help encourage and challenge you to build relationships with people that aren't in the church. So, love your neighbor. Now, there's a question about loving your neighbor. Is how is God using you to bless those who don't yet know him? How is God using you to bless those who don't yet know him? That's a question to ask. Now, let's just look at this kind of big picture here as a whole. We got love God, love family, love church, love neighbor. Anybody feel a little overwhelmed? Gosh, that's a lot to do. I'm supposed to publicly worship, privately devote, work daily, honor my family, sacrifice, own the ministry, share the gospel. Whoa. Anyone feel guilty? Anyone feel like, gosh, I don't, I don't think I can do that. Anyone wondering, what's in the middle? The middle's the key to everything. Without the, the, the middle part, the other spokes will automatically crumble. Without the middle part, there won't be the power, there won't be the juice, there won't be the resources to keep going in these other directions. And if you're overwhelmed by those four spokes, the middle is the answer to that feeling of guilt and overwhelmness you feel. Here it is. You are loved by God. This is the key to growing in your faith. This is the key to having the kind of relationship with God where you love him with everything and you love your neighbor in family, church, or neighbor 
sense, the way you do that is fueled by the realization, the awareness that you are loved by God. This is the good news of the gospel. When we talk about that we are a gospel-centered church, this is actually a picture of it. That we're saying we want to remind each other all the time when we gather here together on Sundays, when we gather in homes for redemption communities, when students gather for small groups on Wednesday nights, when exodus groups, in counseling meetings, just online all the time, we're trying to remind you, you're loved by God. Most of us give that lip service, yeah, 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 but, but, but it doesn't become internalized. And that's why our love in response to God and our love in response to others is so weak. Is because we don't really believe the gospel. What do we mean when we say that we're loved by God? Here's what we mean. We mean that we are a child of the Father. That because Jesus Christ has gone to the cross and paid for the penalty of our sin, we have been adopted into God's family. We are children of the Father. It also means that we are the bride of the Son. And again, I, I, I find that to be a very odd concept as a man, to think about that I'm the bride of Jesus. But then I think about how I love my wife. And I think about how I felt the day I looked down that aisle and saw her coming in radiant white and to think that's how God feels about me. Because I'm the bride of the Son. Then we're the home of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go to a temple to experience God's presence. We don't have to do some magic incantation to experience God's presence. If we're Christians, we've put our trust in Jesus Christ. He saved, it for, saved us from our sin, and he's given us God the Holy Spirit in us. He's been given to us. We've been filled, indwelt, sealed with God himself. This is the core of the faith, that we are loved by God. We are children of the Father. We're the bride of the Son. We're the home of the Holy Spirit. And to the degree that we embrace that and believe that and trust that, we will want to respond by loving God and loving our family and loving the church and loving our neighbor and will grow slowly but surely more into the image of Christ. That's where we want to go this year. And that's where we want to go every year. That's why we do everything we do as a church, is to help you grow in these five loves. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the love that you have shown us in Christ. Thank you that you've adopted us as your children. Thank you that you have made us your spotless bride. And thank you that you've indwelt us by your spirit. Father, I pray that that would fuel us to respond to you and to the world with love. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.